This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So we, we kicked off a, a series on wisdom. Um, Sonica started us off last week. Uh, if you didn't listen to that message, please uh, just head to, to our online channels. Uh, you, can, you can find it there. It was really, really a great one and a good platform um, for us going forward. So this morning, I'm going um, to continue with that, and I'm going to speak specifically about wisdom in conflict. Okay, so the United States has more lawyers per capita than any other country in the world. In 2021, there were 1,327,910 licensed lawyers in the United States. Now, the U.S. Has a, has a population of 331.9 million people. That equates to one lawyer for every 250 people. And, of course, those lawyers aren't just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, the U.S. also leads the stats in, in the terms of numbers of annual lawsuits. So one such famous case uh, was that of Stella Liebeck, who sued McDonald's in 1992 for spilling a cup of hot coffee into her lap, her own doing. So the story goes is that she, uh, her son was driving, she wasn't driving, they bought a cup of coffee um, and they pulled over and she removed the lid so she could add uh, cream and sugar to her coffee. In my opinion, that's reason enough to be burnt by hot coffee, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check my opinions at the door. So she removed the lid and proceeded to spill hot coffee over her lap, burning 10% of her skin. So Stella took McDonald's to, to court, and she won the case, um, being awarded 2.9 million U.S. dollars in damages by a New Mexico jury. And ever since then, McDonald's has had to put, has had to put a little warning on their cups to say, this coffee is hot. A little closer to home, um, I was recently part of a conversation with a, with a member of this church who's also the director of a law firm. Um, and he mentioned a very interesting fact. He said that the majority, the highest number of calls that come into their office are around what topic would you think? Neighborly conflict. I also would have thought perhaps divorce, uh, something like that. But conflict with neighbors is one of the main calls that they receive at their firm. So, I mean, thankfully, I've always had good neighbors. Um, in fact, so much so that I'm going to marry one. <laughs> but I know how it goes. Your, your trees growing over a little bit uh, on, on their side of the fence. So they, they chop off the branch and you, out of absolute disgust, pull out your chainsaw and mow down their hedges that are leading to their front gate. Neighborly conflict, we, we somehow just don't like to get on with those who live in, in close quarters to us. Speaking of garden cuttings, though, um, I recall a story a few years ago. I, I enlisted the services of a, um, of a garden company uh, here in East London. And one month they raised their rates, an annual, an annual raise that I didn't know about. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't made aware of it. So I paid, and as a result, there was a shortfall in my payment. 
This also coincided with the December period where we often went away, and um, we were away in the week that my scheduled cut um, was to happen. So I missed that cut, but my gates were, were, were manual at the time, and you could literally just open them and, and walk in and have access to the full yard. So I wasn't too happy about the fact that, uh, that this had happened. Um, uh, my rates had been raised. Um, I'd, I'd, missed, I'd missed a cut, and I was expected to pay um, the shortfall plus another month and another month, and, and this dragged on for, for a couple of weeks, and I just, I just refused out of principle. You didn't tell me about the, the raise in the rates, and you could, have, you could have cut. Why must I pay for this? I, was, I wasn't happy with this. I was, I was really just, this is... Unjust, you know, justice must be done here. And um, basically, I, I picked up the phone uh, to the guy, and uh, what followed was uh, a conversation in which he, he very impressively crafted, crafted most of the conversations with four-letter words alone. Um, very impressive. But uh, I was just caught so off guard by the way this guy treated me over, over a small incident. I believe I, I responded uh, in, in, a, in a decent way, but he caught me off guard, and, and I too got a bit heated in the conversation. But I held on, held on in principle. You will not do this to me. You will not treat me this way. You are a service provider. I am paying you. Anyway, after a couple of weeks of this, it eventually came to, to a threat from his side where he said he will take a day's worth of cuttings from all the lawns and all the, all the houses that he'd been to and he will come and dump it in my driveway in front of my gate so that myself and my family had no access to our house without moving all of that stuff away. So I conceded. Um, I chose to, to pay him like the, the two months or so that were outstanding and I, I terminated our services effective immediately. But I know you don't, you don't actually need uh, many stories for me to illustrate the point that conflict is part of our daily lives. In fact, it's, it's woven into the fabric of our society. 250 lawyers per one person proves that point. You know, and I think even if I were to hand you the mic, open up the floor, and say to each, each of you, come up and share with me a conflict scenario. I don't think any of you would have a problem with that. You could easily recall something that you've been part of where you had words with someone and things didn't end so well. Conflict is so part of our daily lives. We have conflict with our parents, conflict with our siblings, our partners, our spouses, conflict with our boss, our colleagues, our neighbors. Conflict is everywhere, and it's nothing new. All throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were in, were in conflict with their neighbors. Job was in conflict with his friends. In the Psalms, many writers express their struggles and conflicts, crying out to God for help and deliverance. In the New Testament, the early Christians faced persecution and martyrdom for their faith. The Apostle Paul wrote about all his afflictions, all his conflict. He was thrown in prison, beaten. And of course, Jesus himself faced conflict from religious leaders and political leaders to the point of crucifixion. Conflict is an unavoidable part of life. So our question should never be, how can I avoid conflict? And I know that's the strategy for most of us. I'm going to deal with this conflict by not dealing with it at all. 
I'm going to run as fast and as far away from this thing as I possibly can. Instead of asking, how do we avoid conflict? We should be asking, how do I handle this conflict in a godly way? How can I apply wisdom to every conflict situation that I find myself in? And that's the problem that I, that I hope to the answer, the question I hope to answer this morning. So let's start just by defining what conflict is. So conflict is not just a mere disagreement or, or fallout or misunderstanding with someone. Conflict is when one or both parties or more feel threatened. They feel a threat. Regardless of whether that threat actually exists, we find ourselves, we feel we're in conflict when we perceive a threat. And we tend to respond to conflicts based on, based on our own perceptions of, of these things, of, of, of our values, of our, um, you know, of our perceptions and motivations. We don't, we don't actually use an objective review of the facts. We just base this purely on our own perception of the situation. And those things are, ex- uh, we, we experience those kind of things. It's based on our life experiences. That, that's how our perceptions are, are, are built and are formed. Based on our history. How did this situation play out? How have I seen it play out with my parents or friends? How have I seen this play out? This is, this is what's influencing my perception of what's going on here. So these differences in our values or, or ideas or desires can often be pretty small or trivial. But then at times something comes and it really just stirs us up. Something just really, really upsets us. And it's at that point that there's, we, we must recognize that there is a deep need that's often going unmet or challenged. So those needs, we have basic human needs that can, that can range from safety and security to being valued and respected or to have closeness and intimacy and, and a deeper love with those around us. And often when, when a conflict goes unresolved, it's seldom over the issue that the conflict was actually raised on in the first place. It's because those needs are not being met. Those ideals, those desires are being challenged in us. So think of the, the opposing needs uh, of a toddler and a parent. A toddler's need is to explore. Okay? They've literally just found their feet. All they want to do is go. But that's going to find that little toddler in dangerous situations, out in the street, in traffic, on the edge of a cliff, who knows where. The needs of a parent, on the other hand, are for the safety and protection of their child. So that means limiting those boundaries, limiting how far that toddler can walk away from mom or dad. And those two things are in conflict. Those two needs are in conflict. And what happens? Baby cries. There is conflict because two needs are opposing one another and not being met. So we're, we're currently in the middle of a, um, a marriage preparation course for, for the next term, and we're following the um, Love and Respect um, model, which is a book based by, on, on a, sorry, based written by a man named Emerson Egrix, uh, and it's based on the principle in Ephesians 5, verse 33, which says, husbands must love their wives, and wives must respect their husband. 
And so often we find a lot of marital conflict boils down to these two principles. The wife feels unloved and the husband feels unrespected. So let's, let's have a look at uh, an example to, to illustrate this. So a husband might, might forget to, to send a message to his wife to say, honey, I'm running 20 minutes late. Um, I'll be there soon. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. We're just wrapping up. So he, he arrives home and she completely blows up and says, you're 20 minutes late. How can you do this to me? What's the problem here? Is the problem that he's 20 minutes late? No, 20 minutes is 20 minutes. The problem is that she feels unloved. She feels that he hasn't put her first. He hasn't thought about her first in that situation. So she feels her, her need to be loved becomes unmet. But the problem often arises in situations like that when the other party then responds from a similar place. He responds in a way that, that challenges the other, the other party's values, and as a result, their needs are unmet. So in our example, the wife in her hurt, she might say something like, you only think about yourself. Whereas he was late because his boss went over in a meeting the same boss of the job that he works day in and day out to provide for his family. So he feels disrespected because here he is working so hard, not for himself, but for his wife and for his family. And she says, you only think of yourself. And in anger, he withdraws, he withdraws his love and she feels unloved. And so we start this crazy cycle of conflict. Wife feels unloved, so she disrespects the husband. Husband feels disrespected, so he responds unlovingly. Wife feels unloved, and so we go. So we go around this crazy cycle. Sound familiar? I'm sure. And it's the same with, with other scenarios too. Perhaps uh, a friend unintentionally disappoints you. And your need for, for trust and, and security in your friendships and relations, relationships feels unmet. So you respond from a place of hurt and you wound them in turn. And so you get the wheel going. A colleague at work dismisses your idea in the team and your need to be, to be valued and, and respected and honored in the workplace get, feels threatened. Your partner has a conversation with someone of the other sex for just a minute too long. And your self-esteem takes a dive. Am I no, am I no longer attractive? What is, what is he or she got that I don't have? We respond defensively because we're threatened. We speak out of fear. And the conflict scenarios are endless. I hope you will use your imagination here and, and, and apply, apply this to every facet of your life. I don't know what your work scenario looks like. I don't know what your home life looks like. I don't know what your relationships look like. But no doubt there is conflict or potential for conflict in every one of those. Wherever human interaction takes place lies the opportunity for conflict. And the problem is that, that most of us over the years have, have developed really poor 
conflict resolution skills. And the general narrative out there doesn't help at all. We live in a culture that is all about self. It's my rights, my opinion, my feelings, my well-being. So when anything comes across our path that, that threatens the furtherment of self, we go into survival mode. And it's all about self-preservation. I just need to keep me protected. I need to keep me safe in this. And how is that working out for us? Are our relationships flourishing? Are we growing in intimacy with our spouse? Are we more connected to our friends? Do we have peace in our workplaces? Do we have empathy for those around us who, who don't look the same as us, don't believe the same things that we do? Well, no. We're a generation that is more disconnected and divided than ever before. That's why Google racks up some 22,000 searches a month on conflict resolution. And we can easily take on a, ah, well, that's just the way of the world kind of attitude. But as a church, with the word of God as our guide, we are called to be in this world, but not of this world. And that by the way we love we will be known as disciples of Jesus. We are called to be countercultural in our response to so many things, and conflict is one of them. So this morning we're going to take a, a very practical look um, at how to do this conflict thing better. Okay, so instead of, instead of taking a, a, a tight fist into your next conflict situation, I'm going to give us five, five tips this morning, it'll take you from going in with a fist of fury to a healing hand this morning that can really stand you in good stead. So number one, shut up. When does the trouble usually start? When you open your mouth. Read with me in James 3, verses 5 to 6. It says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Those are some harsh words. That your tongue can be set ablaze by the fire of hell. And by simply speaking and aligning with that, you can stain your whole body. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Anyone ever spoken themselves angry? You start spewing words of, 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 of hate and bitterness. And all of a sudden, something is literally burning on the inside of you. Your whole body is filled with rage and you just want to explode happens to me, I know what that feels like. You're literally fuming. Shut up. Close your mouth. Don't let your lips guide you. I know you've all experienced this one. The moment a careless word slips out of your mouth and you're literally air grasping for that thing 
to get back. You cannot take any word back that comes out of your mouth. No matter how many times you apologize, what you've said, you have said. The psalmist prays a damn good prayer when he says this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That is a daily prayer for each of us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Let nothing escape my lips. Question, where do words come from? Where do they generate? Where are they birthed? Luke 6 verse 45 has the answer. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If out of your mouth is coming flames from hell, the chances are it's just a symptom of a root disease. And that is sickness of the heart. So that brings me to step two. Look up. Before we go any further in a conflict matter, we need to take it to God. We need to ask him to search our hearts. Whether, we, whether the conflict is being brought to us or we are going to bring it to someone, we, we're going to step into a situation that requires conflict, we need to bring it to the Lord. Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, this is a crucial step in the process of conflict resolution. If you, if you rush into conflict, like so often we do, thinking we know it all, and we've got it all sorted, and we've got it under control, and then all of a sudden something happens, and your emotions take over, where does that end? Generally not very well. Weeks and, and weeks of, of, of harboring this, this burden, and having a bitterness and offense in your heart. Ask, Lord, search my heart. Father, what is going on? Why is this thing just grating me? Why am I so offended? Why am I so angry? What's the root of this, Lord? What, what, what is there? What needs are being unmet? What is the underlying fear? What are my concerns? And then in preparation to engage, pray this prayer from Psalm 19 verse 4. 14, I don't think it's on screen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Again, there's that link. Mouth and heart. Lord, may everything, may what comes out of my mouth and what, I, what I'm meditating on, what I'm dwelling on in my heart, be pleasing to you. We must ask God, give me wisdom, Lord, give me guidance. I don't know how to manage this well. Lord, prepare me. What is in my heart? What could lead me down a path that I actually don't want to go? And once we've taken that issue to God and, and we've dealt with it, we can move on to, to step three. And step three is listen up. I love what a man by, by the name of Eugene O'Neill says. He says, God gave us mouths that close and ears that don't. 
that must tell us something. Before we can make any attempt at resolving conflict, we need to make a point of understanding what the other party is actually communicating to us. James 1 verse 19 says, My beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We need to always seek to understand the other person's perspective. Jesus was a, was a master of empathy, and he, and he illustrates this um, so brilliantly in, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 3 and 5. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This links us, this links step two to step three. First, we need to deal with any obstructions in our own eye. That is, in our own views, the way we view the situation. How do you expect to come into a conflict situation and understand and, and, and listen if you've got a massive obstruction in your view? How do you expect to see a small speck when you have a massive plank sticking out of your own eye? First, we need to go to God and deal with what is in our heart. We need to remove the plank from our own eye in order that we can deal with the small speck in our brother's eye. We need to seek, constantly seek understanding if we hope to achieve anything. We can make no effort to seek resolution if we haven't first dealt with our own views. Okay, now time for where the rubber meets the road. Step four, speak up. Notice that we're already four steps in on a five-step process, and only now we begin to speak. How's general conflict work? Step one, tell the person how you feel. Step two, raise your voice. They're not listening. Start to shout a little bit louder. Step three, bring up as, many, as much baggage as you can from the past and dump it into the conversation. Every shortcoming, every failing, let's put it on the table right now. Step four, raise the decibels again. Cue the name calling and defamation. Let's really drive the point home. Step five, walk off in a huff and commence two-week period of the silent treatment. No. We are called to be countercultural in our response to conflict. In every situation, there is a time to pause, a time to reflect, a time to listen. But then also there is a time to speak. If you think you are a master at conflict resolution because you're the strong, silent type, you're mistaken. All you are is a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. As Christians, we are called to speak the truth in love. We need to express our thoughts. We need to express our feelings and emotions, but we need to do it in a respectful way, with compassion, without attacking and demeaning someone. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Verse 12 to 18 backs us up, saying, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
We know death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. The words we speak in every situation have the power to bring life or the power to bring death. If you are consistently speaking life over your marriage, over your workplace environment, over your friendships, you will eat of that fruit. You will see life. Your relationships will flourish. You'll have peace in the home and in the workplace. And likewise, if you continue to speak death, you will eat of its fruit. If you speak in death of your relationships, death in the workplace, death of your boss, you will begin to see rotten fruit. We cannot expect life-giving fruit and life-giving places and, and, and peace and joy in these environments if we continue to spew death. So how do we safeguard against bringing words of hurt and rather bringing words of healing? We work the program. We follow the steps. Step one, we shut up. We take a moment. We close our mouths. We reflect. Step two, we look up. We take it to God. Say, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. What is in my heart? Step three, we listen up. Take the time to find, to get clarity and to find a perspective. And then when you're at step four and you speak up, you can pass your words, anything you want to say through these three filters. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Now, these are three things you can constantly, in the back of your mind, just have as a filter running through everything. Think of them as a quality check for the words that are coming out of your mouth. Is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Is it factual? Is it, is it backed up? If it's second-hand knowledge, does it come from a credible witness? Does it come from a credible person? Is this thing that I'm about to present actually true? If it is... Is the way you're going to present it truthful? Okay, this is a favorite one for the, for the marrieds. Whenever I do this, you always, you always do this. Whenever I do this, you never. Tip, avoid words like always and never. Is it, is it always? Is it never? Or is it occasionally? Is it two times or twice out of every... 10. Is it truthful what we're actually saying? Make sure that what you're saying is both true and truthful. Next, is it kind? Is what you're about to say kind to the person who has to hear what you're about to say? Tone of voice, body language, and choice of words. These are things that, that effectively contribute to giving a message, to sending a message out of love. Okay, how many of you have ever received, um, been on the receiving end of some advice from somebody who looks like this? You're likely to receive the message. That's what I find quite often. We're, we're open to the message. We're open to correction in our lives. We realize there's a blind spot, something we've missed. But what happens is the conflict starts when we feel threatened. We feel the threat. And I can receive what you want to say to me, but because of that face, 
I'm getting really tense myself, and I'm going to respond in a way because I feel threatened. We can distill and put out so many fires if the way we talk is kind, if the way that we communicate, our body language and everything is kind to those to whom we're speaking. We can stop that conflict cycle from the very start if we just approach, approach situations with a kind heart. Finally, is it necessary? Okay, is what you're about to say really, really necessary? Is it going to be helpful to the individual, to the situation? Is it going to move things forward or backwards? Is what you're going to say going to edify the person? Or are you really just trying to have your say? Trying to make sure that, that they know how you feel? Is it just to make you feel better? Remember, our words hold power. Let's use that power wisely. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man quotes. She's scraping the barrel. This brings me to our, our last point. Step number five, step down. There comes a point in every conflict situation where we need to be willing to step down. You know what makes conflict so hard? We never want to be wrong. We always want to be right and we want to make sure that that person knows that we're right. And make sure that they know they have wronged us and they have hurt us. So we keep going. We don't want to back down. We don't want to seem weak. We don't want to seem like they won the fight. What do you think God views as the most important outcome of your conflict situation? Is it you winning the fight? Is it you having the better argument? Having the upper hand? No. It's seeing you humble yourself. Stepping down from your lofty position and winning the heart of the person, not the argument. You know, I spoke earlier of those four-letter words that I heard on the other end of the line. I've got another one. This one is a five-letter word. And it's so terrible that many of us really, really battle to say it. And I'm going to say it right here in church. Sorry. So many of us battle to apologize and just say sorry. You know how many arguments and conflict situations we could douse in a second by just apologizing? Just saying, I'm sorry. I missed it. You're right. But we'll never get there if we don't follow the steps. If we don't take the matter to God and say, Lord, what is in me? What's in my heart? What is, why is this challenging me? If we don't listen, if we don't seek to get understanding and see the perspective of the other person, we will never understand. If we don't take that view, if we don't, if we don't open up our view to see another side, we will always think we are right and we are justified. And we will never be able to take that step down. 
An apology can diffuse a conflict situation in an instant. Note that this final step is not, is not called back down. It's called step down. This is something active that we need to do. We need to take a step down. We're not backing down from a fight. We're not backing down from our view. We are stepping down. We are humbling ourselves and saying, I don't have all the answers. Maybe I've got some of this wrong. I'm going to own whatever percentage I have of the 100% of this argument. If it's 10%, so be it. I'm going to own that, and I'm going to apologize, and I'm going to begin an open dialogue. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm not going to back down from my point, but I'm going to step down, and I'm going to deliver it in a humble way. Philippians 2 verses 3 to 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We gain nothing in simply coming out on top of a conflict. Have you ever felt so right and so justified? You knew you had them. I've got you now. I'm on top. And then for the next few weeks, you're holding on to this thing, and it's hurting you. The only person who loses in a conflict situation is you. You're the one who carries the burden. You're the one who carries the weight of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of resentment, of offense. It's because we've fought for the wrong thing. We haven't fought for a relationship. We've fought to be right. We need to fight for peace. We need to be willing to sacrifice our opinions and being right for peace. This is what Jesus did. He sacrificed his own life for the sake of peace and resolution. In John 15 verse 13 it said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Stepping down isn't showing weakness, it's showing strength. The Lord laid down his life so that we could be eternally resolved with God. Would you stand with me? We're going to close. You know, every day, our actions, including those of the best of us, the most holy, the most righteous, all of us, our actions are in direct conflict with the will of God. Yet how does he respond? He still loves us. He still forgives us. His mercies are still new every morning. You know, if there's one person entitled to bring a case against us, it is God. We are sinners. Everything we do is in direct conflict with the will of God. Yet what does he do? He sends the Son to earth. He comes and He serves us. And we reject Him. And we bring conflict against Him. But He doesn't fight back. He doesn't want to win the argument. He steps down. He humbles Himself to the point of death on a cross for us.
All along he had the upper hand. He was right, but he didn't feel the need to prove himself. He stepped down and he let the will of God happen so that we can be made right and we can be resolved with God in heaven. Your sins have been paid for. Everything forgiven. What rights do we have to hold a grudge against someone? To not forgive them? To treat them poorly? Relationships are one of the only things that you can take with you. Everything else is immaterial. Our focus should be wholeheartedly on the people around us, the people in our lives. God values each and every person in this room, each and every person who you come into contact with. And he has blessed us with friends and family and partners. Let's love each other better. Let's be countercultural. Let's not handle conflict the way the world does. Let's deny self in a world that promotes self. Let's deny ourselves, surrender ourselves and lay down our lives in the pursuit of peace in every situation we find ourselves in. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.